0: This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters, and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Snackpod
1: Hey everybody, and welcome back to Ozpol Snackpod, the podcast that's kind of like a Tim Tam, and then it goes well with a cup of tea. Uh, we bring you bright-sized chunks of Australian news, politics, and memes. My name is Noon, and with me is my co-host.
0: Hey, like a snack. How you doing, Noon?
1: Uh, I mean, not great. To be, uh, I mean, I, I'm feeling good. I'm just doing terribly as the intro to this podcast has demonstrated. Uh,
0: you no. left off the second... Uh, we were, we spent a while trying to workshop that Tim Tam bit. And the, the second half is going to be if you, you know, we, we go well with a cup of tea, but if you start dunking on us, we fall apart. And then I was just laughing for a long time at the idea of somebody saying of their Tim Tam as they put it in a cup of tea. I'm dunking on my Tim Tam.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the on doesn't quite work. You sort of got to, like, just rush past that. I'm going to start start saying that now. On us.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm dunking on my biscuit. (laughs) I'm I'm keeping that word.
1: uh, Look, before we get into the news, I just wanted to... What's the opposite of a shout-out? Uh, but whatever that is, I wanted to do that to Sammy J, uh, comedian about town, ABC, like radio host fill in, uh, who <laughs> has released a podcast called The Snack Pack. Um, and I just want to say it's totally unacceptable. You know, The Snack Pack, that's our, it, well, it's you guys. You are The Snack Pack yeah. listeners. Sammy, we
0: wish you'd consulted us. You know, we have just a phone actually... call
1: away. You could have just texted Rove. He he passed on the message. Rove, you know, Rove is not happy about
0: this. Rove feels very upset about this. You know, Rove is out for,
1: is out for blood right now. And we only have so much control, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, I mean, you know,
0: he's on the, he's at the edge of his tether right now. You know,
1: the <laughs> snack pack business. Uh, you know how Rove gets. I don't want to say turf war, but turf war. <clears throat> um, <laughs> let let's get into our show, Zach, but. Uh, before we do, you wanted to tell listeners all of the stuff we're not going to be talking about this week.
0: Yeah, big news week. Few things going on. Largest sting in criminal history in Australia, or something like that. Uh, cops and uh, U.S. Feds set up a fake encryption Internet service. Phones. And, yeah, um, they caught a bunch of and they got a bunch of weird and arrested some bikies. We're not going to be talking about that. Uh, the whole robodebt debacle has now basically been uh, like put to bed, uh, court wise, uh, pretty disappointing outcome. We're not going to be going into that this week. Um, but read more about it. If you are interested, Christian Porter ate shit in court again this uh-huh. week. Um, I would say that he ate more shit this week than last week. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, the, uh, you know, war crimes guy and regular crimes guy, uh, Ben Robert Smith trial has begun and just the most horrifying testimony is coming out of that. Um, you really don't want to make jokes about the guy, but then he does Mr. Bean shit, like show up to a character witness's house with a giant bouquet to hide his face from the cameras. Yeah. It's like, you know, testing my resolve, but we're not going to be talking about any of that stuff this week. Here's something that we are going to be talking about.
1: So... Uh, some good news this week is that the Christian Democrat Party is in receivership and a court has appointed an administrator, uh, or to use more everyday language, uh, they've done an oopsie with their banky-wanky, and the judge <laughs> has appointed a money babysitter. Um, <laughs> oh man, I, my skin is crawling right now. <laughs> <laughs> she don't like banky-wanky? Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, that's uh, that's what's happened. Um, <laughs> so the, the Christian Democrats, as, as listeners may know or may be able to guess from their name, are a conservative political party based in New South Wales. They hate abortion, they hate gays, they're generally awful. Um, the party has been in trouble for years, so according to, to an article uh, in The Australian from March this year, a couple months ago, there's an extraordinary schism playing out between Mr. Fred Nile, the 86-year-old party figurehead and longtime New South Wales upper house member, and a renegade group who disagree with how the party is being run. A caretaker board was installed last year after the former treasurer uh, alleged in the New South Wales Supreme Court that Mr. Nile and his wife had misused party funds to the tune of $100,000, which they have consistently and strongly denied. A new board was appointed an annual general meeting in November, but some of the uh, members of the caretaker board believed the board was elected illegitimately. Tensions boiled over in December when members of the caretaker board changed the locks at the party's Parramatta office, uh, barring yes. Mr. Niall and state manager Annie Wright from the premises. Uh, that's the good shit. That's the good shit. Police were called as the warring groups each insisted they were the legitimate board. So there were two different boards. They locked the doors. They called the cops on each other. Very funny stuff. Uh, there's a number of troubles at the Christian Democrats. Uh, there are claims that the false there were false minutes submitted to the government. Um, there are defamation lawsuits swirling back and forth because everyone who's been involved on in both sides has talked to the media about it, so they're all suing each <laughs> other for talking to the media about it. Um, uh. And the board of directors, though I have to say I don't know which board of directors, has <laughs> formed a view that the association was likely to become insolvent, i.e. they've done an oopsie with their banky-wanky. Mm.
2: Uh, and
1: that's because, uh, uh, as the Australian mentioned, um, more than $35,000 was claimed by Mr. Nile's private company Family World News Pity Limited, Proprietary Limited, sorry, uh, <laughs> while almost $62,000 in electoral expenses was claimed by Miss Nile. Uh, $44,000 of, of which she'd already been paid. So, yeah, uh, th- it sounds like they've taken about $100,000. They say that it was for legitimate reasons and it was just actual normal payments for services rendered. Okay. Uh, And according <laughs> to a Christian news website, uh, which is the main place that this has been covered, weirdly, uh, the board has now been fired and the full control of their assets is being handed over to Sean G. Condon. You know, Sean G.? condon yeah um yeah. <laughs> uh, he is a former war fighty guy um who i won't denigrate the good name of by completely baselessly assuming he's committed war crimes because uh, that would be <laughs> slanderous uh, but he's now a forensic accountant and apparently he's a commander of the knights templar and has a bunch of other like uh titles from yeah like okay so the they, knights they, of they, jerusalem you
0: know. They brought in another kind of Christian crusader to kind of help say out here. I not
1: anything about him doing Christian stuff before, except that. And I think they might mainly be army the army things.
0: Temple. I don't know.
1: I th- <sighs> that's true. Uh, I, th- but I think it's because he fought wars in the Middle East and shit, rather mm. than uh, anyway. His probably that's Christian. worse. That's a worse yeah. reason. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, so this all comes just after a, a couple of months after Fred Nile, who again is the founder and one of the like head slugs at the Christian Democrat, uh, announced his retirement from politics and said that he wanted Lyle Shelton of Eat Shit Lyle uh, fame. to fame, yes, to become his successor, uh, and social media has you know. Uh, made a lot of fun of Lyle for running the party into the ground in, like, the two months that he's had control of it. And good for them, because each at Lyle. Uh, but honestly, I do not really think this was his bad. He was handed a big bowl of shit. um, And has just... Uh, now there's a court-appointed money babysitter to stand there and watch him eat it.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean... either way this is positive this is not going to be helpful for lyle yes either way
1: (laughs) that's right yeah
0: yeah i mean he was like on his way out basically of having any kind of uh relevancy really to the mainstream
1: uh Uh, after the failure of
0: of the no campaign yeah exactly So, this was supposed to like rejuvenate his profile, uh, and instead, it sure has. (laughs) (laughs) Instead, he's just face planted, uh, as you say, into a big bowl of shit. So, uh, (laughs) I think we can pretty unequivocally call that a positivity corner. I agree. Uh, All right. Well, why don't we move on now to our First Nations stories? So, I just quickly mention um, first at the top here, uh, I'm going to be talking very briefly about. an indigenous death in custody and I'll be using the name of that person. So we'll put time codes in the show notes. If you want to skip it over this section. Um, so the coronial inquest into the death in custody of Wayne Feller Morrison in South Australia uh, wrapped up this week or the hearings wrapped up. So we've mm-hmm. been following that uh, over the past couple of months. So the hearings are over Closing closing submissions are going to be heard uh, early in August so, the last news that sort of came out of the inquest was that a pathologist who was being questioned essentially agreed that a spit hood that was on the spit hood that was used on Wayne feller Morrison could have contributed to him asphyxiating while experiencing cardiac arrest mm-hmm. um There's still lots and lots of unanswered questions about exactly what the factors what the factors were that contributed to uh Morrison's death because uh as we've covered, the prison guards in question who were involved in the incident, refused to give evidence. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the meantime, uh, Morrison's family is still fundraising to cover their costs from during the inquest and also help uh, run their campaigning. I will put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, And they've also got uh, a petition going to the South Australian government to immediately legislate a ban on spit hoods. The the government has committed to uh, phasing out spit hoods over the next six months, but the family is saying... Uh, Morrison's family saying it needs to be immediate and the plan mm-hmm. from there is to take the Ban Spithoods campaign uh, national. So we'll put a link to that petition in the notes as well that's a campaign that we should all be following. But the the, uh, the main story I wanted to discuss here was about uh, a man named Ben Wyatt. So Ben Wyatt is, is a Yamachi man who was until recently the Western Australian Aboriginal Affairs Minister under Mark McGowan's mm-hmm. Labour government and Rio Tinto has just announced that Wyatt will be joining their board uh, as a director. Yeah. <laughs> People might remember Rio Tinto for literally blowing up a 46,000-year-old Indigenous cultural heritage site, Duke and Gorge. Uh, ben Wyatt is also going to be joining the board of Woodside Petroleum, who Great. are currently in the, in the final stages of approving a new gas project off the coast of Western Australia, which is projected to produce as much greenhouse gas as 15 new coal-fired power stations. Uh, Or, to put it another way, which will single-handedly raise Western Australia's carbon emissions by almost 5%. Uh, So, in other words, Ben Wyatt, former Aboriginal Affairs Minister in Western Australia, is joining the boards of two of the biggest bastard corporations in the country. Uh, So...
1: Yeah. So I imagine you'll go into all of this a bit more, but it's just like he was involved in making decisions that made those companies money, like a couple months ago, right? When he was in office, and now yeah, he's so, just straight into the companies that he was helping.
0: Yeah. So specifically, when it comes to mining companies destroying Aboriginal heritage sites, mm-hmm. that decision rests with the Aboriginal Affairs solely minister. with him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he didn't, wasn't the person who actually approved the destruction of the Jukun Gorge, but he approved destruction of other heritage sites under the same laws. Yep. Um, And so I mentioned he he left politics recently uh, and has now joined these companies recently means three months ago, which even by Australian standards is is a fairly quick um, government to corporate transition. Although... um, not as quick as who I believe is the current record holder, Christopher Pine, who Christopher took a job Pine, yeah. at EY, in, EY nine days after leaving office. But um, <laughs> so uh, the Guardian piece uh, on this story that I'm pulling a lot from is mostly framed around Wyatt catching criticism from federal Labor Senator for Western Australia, Pat Dodson, who is a Yaru man. Uh, I've got a quote here from Dodson. Having left high office in the Western Australian Labour government, Mr. Ben Wyatt is entitled to pursue new career pathways, but his decision to join the board of Rio Tinto shows poor judgment and makes a mockery of the Western Australian government's ministerial code of conduct, which says ministers should exercise care in taking up employment immediately after leaving government. Now Okay <laughs> Yeah, that like that wording of uh exercise, exercise care, care. is doing a lot of work. Yeah, and I was like I wonder what the actual wording is. So I looked up the Western Australia Ministerial Code of Conduct. uh, And here's a little quote from it. Ministers leaving government should exercise care in taking up employment or business activities in the period immediately after leaving government. In all Uh, areas, confidential information gained during office must not be used and care should be taken to ensure that preferential treatment for the new employer or the business is not obtained by the use of contacts and personal influence by the former minister
1: hilarious um yeah so like literally why else would they hire them though
0: <laughs> oh just for the raw talent and skill yeah that's right yeah yeah you know th- like they were selected to become a politician on merit in the first place so obviously mm-hmm. that merit mm-hmm. is going to carry over uh yeah it's like the weakness of codes of conduct is very funny to me like you really shouldn't do this thing which is the easiest and most efficient way for you to continue to make lots of money after leaving political office you should exercise care. Uh, so, and of course, there's no punishment for breaching the code of conduct. No, if, of course. You know, no, no. Let's well, why
1: it's a code of conduct, not a rule or a law.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the Guardian had a few quotes from Ben Wyatt here, which I thought were pretty revealing. Uh, here's one. Me going on a board... Whether it's now or 12 months from now, I suspect I would have copped the same critique. But I often put this to those critiquing. If I had gone on the board of an organization that puts photovoltaic cells on roofs, I suspect I wouldn't have got a similar critique. I suspect that there's bias against some of the mining
1: companies. Okay, that's, like, almost part of a fair point.
0: Is it? What part of that well, is fair?
1: Well... <laughs> How many? If, no, no. How okay. many, so, and, so, so, the, the, like, if the issue was just like joining companies, that would be fair. The issue is that he's joining companies that he has already given preferential treatment to in office, and that directly pertain to his previous role. So, like, if he was energy minister and got a job at a PV company, I mean, I wouldn't actually be mad, but like. I would see that yes, there were like corruption concerns potentially there, but it's like it's like that drill tweet. uh, The wise man bowed. There's
0: actually zero difference between good and bad things. Exactly. Yeah, Uh, I think that you guys might just be a little bit biased because I'm jumping directly into the industry that is people and corruption (laughs) that is actively destroying the planet at a rate of knots right now. Uh, yeah, you know what, Ben? I think you might be right. If, like, I agree with you, knowing that there's, there is part of a reasonable statement in there and that there is a bias against mining companies. It's very important that everybody holds that bias with extreme fucking prejudice. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other quote here, which I thought was interesting from uh, Wyatt, uh, here's a quote from The Guardian. Wyatt said it was, quote, In the interests of every Australian, for Rio to get back to a position of leadership in the industry and reconnect with the Pilbara, Quote, one of the biggest employers of Aboriginal people in the Pilbara is Rio Tinto, so I want it to be successful. It is not going anywhere, but we need to recalibrate its relationships back with those key relationships. So, <laughs> I mean, that's it's very capitalist logic, right? Like, you can't see outside the very well, narrow you can't confines get rid of, of this
1: evil company, so you better hope that they're nice.
0: Yeah, like, Rio is the biggest employer of Aboriginal people in the region, so we have to make sure that it's successful, as opposed to, like, giving people what they need to live, or putting money and resources into non-planet-destroying industries that could otherwise employ people. Like, there's no... I don't know. It's very... It's extraordinarily narrow thinking. Mm Um so, yeah, as I mentioned, why it wasn't the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs who signed off on the Duke on and the Gorge German. being destroyed, but he did sign off on requests to destroy other Aboriginal heritage sites. And part of uh, his job was to redraft the laws around heritage. Um, so he released his new version, uh, which is still in draft. Um, okay. He released it, I think it was last year, but it's like very weak. and. In particular, it's been pointed out that they still leave final discretion on these decisions to the minister alone. To the minister, sure. And one of the other things that people were calling for is, you should give traditional owners a veto power on this. Because that's a very obvious way to prevent more destruction of sacred sites. His draft powers do not include a veto for traditional owners. of course. Um, And this is... Kind of a tangent, but something I came across while I was researching this story, which is that um, explosive companies who work with mining companies are starting to introduce like clauses into employment contracts that allow workers to call a halt to, to works if they think that heritage sites are at right. risk, which cool. like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's good, but also like the entire fucking business right. model of the mining right. industry is destroying country, but, and the also- it sh- Yeah, right. But it also shouldn't be the responsibility of, like, individual people no, whose no, jobs are at not. stake. At the, like, and, like, know, there's
1: a, a 0% it- chance that they're not going to be punished for that, right? Like, yeah.
0: that's what these rules are- that's what these clauses are supposed to prevent, but, like...
1: There's yeah. a tangent, but the Israeli army has a similar clause, um, because, in theory, it's supposed to, like, prevent you know, the Nuremberg defense of like, oh, I was just following orders. Yeah. So in theory, the Israeli army has a thing where you can refuse orders. In practice, uh you can be basically put in military jail for disobeying orders. And then later, if it turns out that you were exercising your right to refuse orders in an appropriate manner, they'll like apologize for putting you in jail. Um, but like, effectively, yeah. you can't do that. And I imagine it will be similar with this.
0: Yeah. And like, it's this, again, this, uh, oh, it was the responsive, somehow the responsibility of these employees to make sure that heritage sites aren't destroyed. Like how that's in like, they're explosives people. It's not their area of expertise. Like, and, but also they work for a company whose entire
1: model business (laughs) business model is...
0: Is blowing up heritage sites. Like yeah, it's yeah. just I don't know. It was very fucking I mean, yeah, I,
1: I think it's important to remember that there's nowhere on the continent that isn't a heritage site. Like the whole thing is Yeah, I mean it's all stolen. Land. Yeah, yeah. It's
0: all stolen. Um so yeah, look. It's kind of hard not to see this as an attempt by Rio to reclaim their social license, you know, post mm-hmm. Duke and Gorge. Mm-hmm. Um you know, by having an indigenous person on their board, um, and like Ben White is specifically replacing somebody who was fired after Duke and Gorge. So it's mm, like mm-hmm. you know that's this is their uh, th- this is their damage control plan, uh, part of their damage control plan after Duke and Gorge. Um, but uh, maybe I'll give the final word here to Pat Dodson on whether or not that will work in the long run. Quote, Mr. Wyatt's appointment will bring no credit to Rio Tinto and will do nothing to restore its reputation after the Duke and Gorge Gorge disaster. The company inherits the legacy of Mr. Wyatt's ministerial role in having approved harm to sacred sites under Section 18 of the existing Aboriginal Heritage Protection Act. Rio Tinto may think it's bought respectability by appointing Mr. Wyatt, but Aboriginal people, especially those whose sacred sites are endangered by mining, will rightly be skeptical.
1: True, true.
0: Shall we now move on? Yeah. Fasci Australia.
1: So I've got uh, two uh, little horrifying fasci stories. Um, so the first one is that uh, on Monday this week, the country was upset but not surprised when a photo of two young children uh, who were being held in immigration jail was circulated around. Uh, these were Taranika and Kopika Muragaban. Murugaba who are the two, only two children in immigration jail in Australia, apparently. Um, and, uh, listeners, you probably know, you've heard about these family before. Uh, the Muruguppans, uh, also known as the Biloela family, um, uh, people seeking asylum. They were living in Biloela and then were arrested and taken to uh, immigration jail, including these two um young girls. So, uh, Taranika, who's three years old, has been extremely sick for the last couple of weeks. And this photo was taken of her older sister, Kopika cu- kissing her goodbye before she was flown to the Australian mainland to- and put in a hospital in Western Australia. Oh, cause they're in, they're in Christian, uh, Christmas Island. In
0: yeah. It's a really tragic moving photo. It's really awful. Yeah. Like, Taranika is, Taran- Taranik is obviously, obviously in like such extreme distress. Yep and the uh, the like when she was flown to the mainland her mum was allowed to come with her but the dad and her sister had to stay behind like yeah. you know even in this situation the government yeah. is taking this extra opportunity to split them up like can you fucking imagine yeah. it's just the the cruelty knows no bounds for these people
1: totally and it it seems or at least uh people who have friends with the family are saying that she's been flown to Western Australia because she had pneumonia, which wasn't treated on Christmas Island. Yeah. Um, And as a result,
0: it's been reported that she, like the family was trying to get her help for 10 days before. 10 days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And she received medical attention.
1: And as a result, uh, her pneumonia developed into sepsis, which is kind of blood infection. Um, And uh, the immigration department says that she was treated appropriately in that time. Um, just so as you know. But, listeners, you can make up your mind about who's telling the truth there.
0: Who to believe there, yeah.
1: Yeah, so the Murugapan family um, have been in the news recently because there's been talk of uh, accelerating the resettlement process, um, which is to say finding them a place in the United States or New Zealand. However, there's been a lot of really conflicting information about this. Um, Liberal government ministers have uh, said at press conferences that they were actively talking to the U.S. to try and get a resettlement option. And then the U.S. has said that they haven't been talking about that and they didn't know anything about it, so on and so forth. There's been a lot of backwards and forwards. And the, and people using phrases that people read a lot into, or, you know, we're actively considering options. It's like, well, what does that mean, really? But at the moment, only the Home Affairs Minister, Karen Andrews, or the Immigration Minister, Alex Hawke, can really change the situation uh, for complicated bureaucratic reasons that... Um, are based around different categories of non-human that Australia has. Um, Yeah. yeah, uh, So um, it remains to be seen whether or not they will, uh, but it seems like there is pressure building to get this family to a home. Yeah. Pretty horrifying. Uh, The other fashy story, which is also quite horrifying, is the ex-Labor Party figure, Michelle Burgess, uh, who spent the last three decades working for the Australian Manufacturing Workers Union has signed up as a council for the Australia First Party in the New South Wales council elections. So, uh, um, the unionist
0: uh, to white supremacist pipeline.
1: It's disappointingly available, which you know Mark <laughs> Latham is being the other notable option. I don't mm. know. I wonder if she doesn't like Pauline Hanson, or if Pauline wouldn't take her, or something. But who knows? Hmm. Um, uh, while doing not racist research- enough. There's a lot of possibilities. Um, uh, Michelle Burgess has a public Facebook page. It's just her page, but she posts everything on public. Uh, it's completely flooded with Boomer content. Um, do you want to? Do you want to read out this one, Zach? Uh,
0: sure. Yeah. This is a repost from a page called Stitch Thoughts, as in Lilo and Stitch, and it's a picture yep. of Stitch from Lilo and that Stitch. Lilo and
1: contemporary Stitch. film.
0: Yeah, and Stitch is. Standing next to some text which says Common sense is so rare these days It should be classified as a superpower
1: and Which is exactly the
0: of- kind of thing that Stitch would say If you've seen that movie, you know Stitch is a stickler for
1: common sense I can't He's an alien who doesn't speak slightest. English but- cool. Great. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, He's under- a chaos a demon one of her What's posts. the connection?
0: Michelle <laughs> <laughs> This post makes no sense, Michelle <laughs>
1: You should see all of her other posts, Zach. They're they're fabulous. Listeners, uh go check it out. Um it's just beautiful. And under every single one of them are people being like, Ha 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 ha! Michelle so true. Agreed. Um But uh yeah, so she's signed up with Australia First, and I thought just to remind our listeners about them, I would read out their eight core policy titles. There's the eight pillars of the Australia First Party. Ensure uh, Australia retains full independence. Rebuild Australian manufacturing industries. That one's not so bad, but also that's probably the reason that they got (laughs) Michelle Burgess. Anyway. Reduce foreign ownership. Reduce and limit immigration. Abolish multiculturalism. Introduce citizens' initiated referenda. Strengthen the family. Strive to rebuild a united Australia. So there you go. Um, I mean...
0: Every one of those... Is a dog whistle, <laughs> yes, or just an explicitly racist policy? <laughs> yeah, There's yeah, no... it's dog
1: whistle or more. There's no. I mean, oh, look, look, it. Zach. To be fair, strengthen the family is an anti-gay dog whistle. Okay.
0: Oh, sorry, my bad, my bad. So we got we got seven out of eight, racisms racist. and one homophobia. That's the the recipe for a really attractive <laughs> party for. A unionist looking for a new gig. Good to know. Hell
1: yeah. All right, Zach, let's go to our next segment.
0: Okay. This one's sucked, so hopefully the next one's better.
1: Potluck, where you bring the snacks. Yeah,
0: this week we have a potluck from a previous co host, one time co host, one time guest host of this show, Holly, and she's got a little something to say about coronavirus restrictions down here in Nam, a.k.a. Melbourne. Let's have a listen.
2: Hey, snack and noon It's your boy, Holly here. I just wanted to drop into the potluck to complain about uh, COVID restrictions. not very original, I know, SARS. Uh, So today, which is Friday, the 11th of June for me, we had no new COVID cases in Melbourne, yay, and restrictions have been eased, which is cool. Uh, but while shops and restaurants and other places that cost money to be in are reopening, people still aren't allowed to have any visitors to their home. And the government has spun this a few different ways. But to me, it just seems like lockdown recovery, like their lockdown recovery plan is just forcing people to spend money in order to see their loved ones and pricing people who don't have a disposable income, whatever the fuck that means, uh, pricing them out of any meaningful kind of socializing. And I just have an ongoing gripe with the increasing normalization of like categorizing spending time with friends and family as like a luxury item and like it's not considered as essential as work. And now it's like unattainable for a growing chunk of the community until people are allowed to visit people in their homes. And I think it's gross. Uh, That's all. Uh, See you later.
1: Thanks, Holly. That's very true. Um, yeah, as a no money having motherfucker, I wholeheartedly relate. Uh, it's bad.
0: You yeah, you no job haver. You don't deserve friends. You don't deserve exactly. socialization. If you don't go into the CBD to spend money on crappy sandwiches at lunchtime, spend five dollars fifty on a soy latte, what good are you to the economy?
1: No, what good are you to the recovery? You don't deserve to socialize.
0: Yeah, exactly. Stay home. The part of, like One of the things, like, arguments that circulate around this is that, like, several bad clusters have been spread through contact at homes uh, and that, you know, people let their guard down at home. They're less likely to follow restrictions and stuff. I'd say that's equally true of workplaces and several of the worst outbreaks have happened at workplaces as well yeah, as well. But people are yeah. allowed to go back to work. I mean, this is a hundred percent just about the it's a sop to business. You know, people can go as as Holly says, Right, know, right, right. You're allowed to go out and spend money. If you want to socialize, that's the only way you can do it. Obviously, you know, pricing people out of social connection, I thought was a good way of putting it. Yeah. But I mean that this is uh, very much in line with what all capitalist governments' responses have been to well, this it also, pandemic, right?
1: It reminds me of uh, what George W. said after the Twin Towers came down. He was like, <laughs> "Don't let the terrorists win. Go out and go shopping." <laughs> and like that was that was the that was the message from the government was if you don't go to a mall and buy some bullshit. The terrorists of one Corona uh, wins exactly yeah. yeah yep
0: you want Corona to win no okay go and buy a fucking go donut. buy an
1: expensive sandwich
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, unless you have in it no money in which case stay the fuck home loser
1: that's right uh, thanks Holly um, yes and if you listener have an opinion about something including coronavirus or money memes. Uh, twin Towers, George Bush, Twin Towers ta- Yeah, please sandwiches. Please, <laughs> please send us a potluck. A few of record the many things <laughs> that we would love to hear your <laughs> opinions about. Uh, send us, uh, re- record yourself talking on your phone <laughs> for about a minute. Uh, take the cover off your phone so you don't talk sound like this. Um, and then email it to us at contact at Do it. Shitpost of the week. Of
0: the week. We got a couple of we got a couple of shit posts we want to share with you this week. One, uh up the top here. Shall I take this one noon? Yeah, you do it. All right. So uh look, most people have probably come into contact with this, but it's just too good not to share on the podcast. So uh, there were Senate hearings this week into how ABC journalists are interacting with stuff online and uh in particular there was a deep dive into what tweets are being liked by abc, ABC employees mm-hmm. uh yes and journalists in particular and uh this has led to the reading out of some of said liked tweets in uh in government officially on in the record yeah. yeah in parliament um One example of said-liked tweets was from Ben Jenkins, who I believe is a writer uh, at SBS. I think he works on the feed. Uh, He's pretty funny on Twitter. You should check him out. This is a Ben Jenkins tweet being read out by Liberal Senator Ben Small. Why don't we take a little listen? This is in
1: Parliament. That says, uh, I try and sue the ABC, but instead my pants fall down and I try to waddle away, but accidentally waddle over a balcony and land headfirst into a truck of pig manure, and my legs wriggle around, and everyone sees my heart-patterned boxer shorts. Where is this guy? Uh, She goes on. <laughs> um,
0: ben Small neglected Hilarious. to read out the very end of the tweet there, which is that then uh, it has a quote from The Australian, a masterstroke. Um, and also, I don't know if you can hear it on the recording there, but there's one of the other members of the committee whispering into a microphone halfway through that tweet where's this going? It's um, <laughs> <laughs> real texture, real flavor to the moment. Um, so look, I guess that's shit post of the week goes to uh, Ben Jenkins, but with the layup assist to Ben small. Right. Yeah. Great. Uh, but new, you uh, had another ship, you had another yeah. meme that you wanted to shout out this week.
1: That's right. Uh, like, when we first conceived of the show, Zach, I think the plan was kind of to comment on meme trends that had come and go. We we sometimes do that, you know, if there's been a a riff going on in the group. Uh, and there has been a riff going on uh, throughout Australian OzPol meme circles this week, uh, because Gladys Berejiklian, the Premier of New South Wales, uh, posted a really weird photo of her watching... Uh, the State of Origin, was it? Um,
0: yeah, State of Origin. Game yeah. one, go the Blues. Go the, go
1: the New South Wales Blues. Yeah, and, and it's a photo of her standing there, facing away from the camera. And so uh, you can't she's see holding her Holding a Coke, no zero. Holding a Coke. Uh, sorry, Coke, no sugar. <laughs> Coke, no sugar. Uh, and with a, a beanie and a scarf on and a jacket. But she's just standing in this empty hotel room. Well, that's what it looks like. And s- the TV
0: is s- like... Very small and far away. Far which away. Which makes it like a perfect so- addition to I don't know if you follow Noon, uh J.R. Hennessy on Twitter who basically collects all of the fucking like awful dog shit TV watching setups that politicians post themselves. Post of themselves. Fabulous. So yeah. She like this is part of a long and storied tradition of politicians posting photos of themselves watching, watching a tiny TV. screen from across a weird room and people being like why? What are you doing?
1: <laughs> what are you yeah. doing, Gladys? Uh, uh, but the, um, almost immediately, someone cut out the Gladys and posted a blank version with her on it a green screen. Do your worst!
0: Begging to be photoshopped, like it is. It's the lighting in this photo, like she's the, the lines are so clean. I mean, it it's almost really, looks like she's been she's photoshopped been into in. the original version. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, and so one uh, that that Chris Richie uh, made and posted on uspole posting. Thank you, Chris. Um, is from Fallout. Uh, instead of so getting ready for game one, go at Tenpenny Tower and Gladys is photoshopped into Fallout, watching a nuclear explosion. She's got a rifle strapped to her back and <laughs> it just looks like she's in the game. Uh, Gregory, it means nothing
0: to me, but I, I, I respect it. I don't Photoshop know about game.
1: Fallout, but it looks <laughs> right. Um, people seem to Gregory like that one. Posted one of her standing in front of Jesus on the cross, uh, just sort of watching the passion happening, um like that one Uh,
0: it's pretty funny i told him before we recorded that i thought this meme was like already played out because it'd been done to death but i'm looking at this and i'm the one i'm watching watching the crucifixion is pretty good Uh, oh there's another
1: one that i i realized when i saw it that i had been subconsciously anticipating this meme and it was the perfect like culmination of it uh, which I saw this from Benjamin Miller. I don't know if it was OC from them, but at Benjamin Miller on Twitter. And it's Gladys standing in front of Bernie Sanders. And Bernie is sitting there with his mittens looking grumpy. And because the, the reason I was subconsciously anticipating it was that it was the same meme, right? People just photoshopped yeah. Bernie sitting in a bunch of other places. But this it's is so much good. more
0: affectionate. Yes, that's <laughs> in right. In Bernie's yeah. And, so,
1: yeah. and here, Gladys is standing there with her Coke No Sugar looking at Bernie sitting at the chair at the, at the uh, inauguration or whatever it was. Yep. Uh, but yes, Zach, you're right. The, the meme was murdered uh, by South Australian Premier Stephen Marshall who recreated the meme ahead of, quote, the port blockbuster. I don't know about footy, so I'm not sure what that means. But, but it's funny um, that
0: you post that one because that's not the first politician who did a reenactment.
1: Oh, right. John okay. Barilaro
0: did, did it before. John- yeah. Like, that's Literally yeah, literally Gladys's deputy. <laughs> like
1: I guess did his they only no news is bad news. I mean, all all news is good news? All coverage is good coverage? But, <laughs> something like that, you know. I think f- no such thing as bad publicity. There's the one. Yeah. Okay. I think <laughs> yeah. maybe
0: that's and you you were sort of no news is good news, which is also proper is also true for these people, but is it's, a separate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the opposite. <laughs> it's a separate yeah. saying. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, uh, cool, but now I mean now the meme is thoroughly dead because it's well been described on Ozpol Snackpod, which is the final nail in the coffin for the meme cycle. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh,
1: if only uh, we were that foremost of political nobodies that we were the, <laughs> that we were the death of the meme. No.
0: Well, uh, anyway, R.I.P. Gladys holding a can meme. You were really fun for like two to three hours. Day and a half. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's move on. You fucked up. Yeah, I mean, look, this is definitely a fuck up, but it also could have been in fashy Australia because one of Australia's loudest Nazis, Tom Sewell, is in jail again. Uh, And he has been charged with, and I quote, armed robbery, robbery. Theft, criminal damage, affray with face covering, affray, assault with weapon, violent disorder, common law assault, and committing an indictable offence while on bail. Basically, he and a bunch of his goons went camping again. You might recall they went camping a while ago and did Nazi shit. They
0: just—they love to wear shorts and tramp around
1: in the dirt. They love to be in places that cops can't be bothered going to. Uh, so what happened was they, they went camping. They saw some people. They yelled "Antifa" at them, and then they went and smashed up their cars and stole their phones. Um, uh, God damn it. Yeah, and it's genius such a piece of shit, this guy. <laughs> genius brain lord Tom Sewell. Uh, seems to have cut his hand while punching in their car window, which you know, kind of unsurprising. Uh, and yeah, the police—that's like
0: an archety- the archetypal angry Nazi injury, mm.
1: punching a, a drywall, maybe. But yeah, yeah, I uh, get
0: sure, sure. It's one step up from drywall. It's true. Yeah, car of a random innocent bystander.
1: Yep. <laughs> uh, all of the news articles. I wasn't going to include this because it's so fucking like. Mainstream journalist thing to say, but none of the victims are affiliated with with Antifa or any other left wing groups. And it's like you didn't need to say that, but also apparently sometimes you do. But but uh Tom, uh, the the police have basically been like, look, we have a photo of him from earlier that day where he doesn't have a cut on his hand, and uh, we've arrested him now. He's got a cut on his hand. And his blood is all over the glass in the car, so we're pretty sure he was involved. Um,
0: but unfortunately, that is of- some tip-top, angry police work right there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, unfortunately, none of the other Nazis involved seem to have been arrested, um, Mm. and at least some of the victims are refusing to give evidence because they worry about being targeted for reprisal. Uh, the police have not managed to recover their phones, which I would describe as concerning. Uh, and Tom Sewell has been, while in jail, telling his goons to, quote, investigate these victims, which I would describe as totally fucked. Um, but the good news i guess is that he's been denied bail uh, and shout outs to abc journalist denny tran who began the article about it like this an australian neo-nazi who considers himself a quote political soldier for the white race and idolizes adolf hitler has been denied bail and that like that's good reporting on nazis instead of being like far-right activist tom sewell has been accused of an altercation while camping with his boys mm-hmm. or whatever you know like yeah, really upfront. Yeah. He's a fucking neo-Nazi. He loves Hitler. He is not a reasonable person. Uh, but he has fucked up and is in jail. So, gooder.
0: Yeah, I look uh, fuck the cops, but also Tom Sill being off the streets. Any Nazi being off the streets unequivocally a good thing, a good thing yeah. because it's going to stop him doing stuff like, for example, punching out random people's car windows and stealing their phones. Like, a fucking 14-year-old lad. Like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. This shit is just so fucking embarrassing.
1: And, like, as far as I know, these people were white and just, like, uncomfortable about seeing a bunch of Nazis. And it seems like one of them was like, hey, I think those are the Nazis from the Grampians. And then they yelled Antifa and went after them. It's just like, guys, like, you have to make up a category that, that is meaningless so that you can attack white people, right? Like, you have to make up Antifa, because, yeah, anyway, that's all. All right. <laughs>
0: yeah, very, very fucking silly waste of space. Fuck fuck that guy. Let's move on now uh, and have a quick chat about some changes that are happening to Medicare. So this is kind of a complex one, and I don't have anywhere near as like deeper background knowledge on this stuff as I would like to, in order to form like particularly Mm -hmm. strong opinions. But I'm going to do my best here um, to tell, to describe what's going on because there's been kind of conflicting headlines going around about this. Some which are quite alarmist about saying things like uh, people are going to be thousands and thousands of dollars out of pocket because of these new Medicare changes and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, and other headlines, you know, being like, this is quite a normal thing that's happening. So anyway, sure. let's get into it a little bit. So there are changes to the Medicare benefits scheme coming in from the 1st of July. So these changes have been under review for five years now. Um, and there's been like extensive consultation with various bodies that go into this, but essentially, uh, I mean, let's get into what that means. So the Medicare benefits schedule is essentially like a list of all the stuff that Medicare will reimburse you for. Um, it's so for example, every different kind of operation that you can Mm -hmm. get Mm -hmm. under Medicare has uh, a schedule number.
1: Can I just, Um, uh, tell a quick story about, about schedule numbers? Sure. I've been trying to get, ndis to pay for some like medical treatment that i got uh, and they're like no this isn't a disability thing this is just a medical expense medicare will pay for it and i'm pretty sure medicare won't pay for it because they specifically say they won't pay for this thing but um uh, i have to try and claim it with medicare so i can show the ndis that they're not gonna pay for it but i can't try to claim it yet because the doctor who did who gave me this prescription or whatever uh wrote a non-existent schedule item number on the invoice uh so i can't try to claim it with medicare because it doesn't exist so i can't get it rejected so i can't claim it with ndis because it's been rejected so super cool functional system that we've got uh but anyway that it has nothing to do with the news i just wanted to complain about my life so uh
0: yeah fair enough um (laughs) And look, it's maybe not a bad uh, bit of texture to add to this in the sense that, like, mostly what this story is about is uh, confusion and uncertainty at the end of the day. That makes sense. Um, Yeah, mostly more on the part of, like, doctors and private health insurers than individuals for the most part. But I'll try to get into a little bit. So, yeah, as you mentioned, Noon, even, you know, things like prescriptions and basically anything you can get under Medicare has a scheduled item number. So these, uh, and those schedule item numbers have basically an averaged cost attached to them. Sure. So, you know, the average cost of getting your appendix out is however, how many thousand you know, dollars, $5,000, whatever it is. And then Medicare uses that in, uh, to decide how much it's reasonable to charge for that and therefore mm-hmm. how much money they will put towards that operation. Mm-hmm. Um, does that make sense? Yeah yeah
1: so it's it basically it's, it's like about, a menu of what they'll pay for and roughly how much they'll pay for it
0: yeah exactly um so this list is supposed to get updated regularly because obviously technologies mm-hmm, change, mm-hmm. prices of stuff change over time, and things like for example, getting your appendix out is much cheaper and quicker to do now than it was fifteen years ago right sure. and but you know if those schedule items aren't reviewed, then doctors are still charging five thousand dollars for what might be right. a one thousand dollar operation sure. operation these days. So you know, the idea is this these schedule changes should generally speaking be moving in a direction of having people pay less. Now obviously doctors aren't necessarily always a fan of this because they might get right. to be charged like massively overcharging for operations. Uh, In certain cases, uh, surgeons, doctors, you know, is obviously a general term. A lot of this is is to do with surgeries in particular. Um, So these changes are coming in and generally speaking, they should be, as I say, moving in the direction of like, stuff that used to cost quite a lot of money and you would have to be in hospital for a number of days for, you can now do with a local anesthetic, be in and out in one day. It's right. much cheaper, yep. but we have still got the old price attached. Uh-huh. Generally speaking, that's what should be happening. But there is zero transparency about what these changes are. Yeah, And so doctors and private health insurers are very concerned about this. So whether or not this is a good or bad thing, ultimately, probably it's going to be kind of mixed sure but you know uh, there's just a lot of kind of confusion and uncertainty about it at the moment so the a- ama the australian medical association which is you know the peak body for doctors or the doctors union i guess if you want to think of it in that way have been pretty uh negative about this mainly because they say that they haven't been given enough notice mm-hmm. about these changes which is probably a fair complaint considering that You know, it's just been announced there's three weeks notice before these these changes are supposed to come into effect from the 1st of June, and they don't know what they are. Uh, Considering that this has been under review for five years, probably they could have given them, the government could have given them a little bit more notice. So Mm -hmm. the main suggestion that's being made here is to delay the changes, basically to give surgeons and doctors time to adjust their own prices. Yep. And uh, for, and to make new deals with private health insurers. So this is kind of where it gets a little bit complicated and my knowledge is a bit patchy, but essentially um, I I couldn't find really good numbers on this, but I think roughly half of like all surgeries happen in private hospitals. Mm -hmm. So under Medicare, anything that happens in a public hospital is fully covered by Medicare anything that happens in a private hospital is covered 75% by Medicare. And the idea is that if you have private health insurance, that your the insurer the 25%. covers the other 25%, except that in practice, that's very rarely the case okay. because as anybody who's ever dealt with an insurance company knows, they're they trying try to bleed very you for They every... not to pay for anything. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So they have these deals basically that they make with surgeons or doctors Where they have either what's called uh, no gap or known gap (laughs) cover, uh, which is, yeah, easier to read than it is to say. Um, So no gap cover, obviously, there's no gap in the cover. We, the private health insurance, will cover... Whatever the gap is between the Medicare, the the amount that Medicare covers, a, and the, and the total sure. fee. Yep. So we we cover all of your you know all, all all of the costs there. So you're not out of pocket. Known gap is when they make a deal with surgeons saying that whatever the kind of ultimate cost of this is, this the individual who's getting the surgery is going to be only one thousand dollars out of pocket. That's okay. what they're going to pay for this. Right.
1: Sure. There's a known um, gap, and then the rest of it is is paid for by the insurance. Makes sense.
0: Yes, exactly. Uh there's other fees and stuff that can come in on top of it that at its simplest that covers it. So the concern here for private health insurers and uh surgeons is that they have already kind of made some arrangements when it comes to surgeries, but they don't know what the costs the like what the Medicare schedule cost of these items is going to be next month.
1: So the Known gap that the patient pays might stay the same, but the amount that the private insurer has to pay might triple or something because Medicare is paying less.
0: Yeah, and so the like the likely result of this uncertainty is that both the insurers and the doctors are going to err on the side of well, I need to get mine. So people Charging are going to. Po- yes, exactly. So the patient is patients are likely going to be out of pocket due to the confusion. Yep. Uh, and like the poor rollout of these changes, even though longer term, it seems likely on balance that the changes are actually going to overall save people money. At least that's the idea. Obviously the poli- political context for this is that this is all happening under the coalition and there are a bunch of neoliberal ghouls. And so everybody's like this, th- this is cuts to Medicare. P- you know, people are going to be paying more money. Uh, for medical treatment, and that's the line that Labor is running with. And it's like the first thing in a long time that Labor has taken any kind of political stand on because Medicare is obviously very safe political ground for them. Yeah, except in this case, it seems like they're kind of making a big deal out of the wrong thing. And so there's, you know, no one, because there's been such a lack of conspiracy, uh, of of uh, such a lack of transparency around this stuff. All we have are theories about why the government is doing such a bad job of this. Right. Some people I've seen have basically theorized that the libs are trying to bait labor into this kind of knee-jerk response of being like, oh, the libs are trying to cut Medicare. And then when the changes are rolled out and the numbers come through, what they'll actually show is that this is going to save people money. <laughs> when uh, you know in large part uh for certain operations some operations we do know are going to be uh raised a lot as well mm-hmm. so there's like mm-hmm. you know some people who are going to be worse off from this i'm sure for sure the other theory is that this is uh, a smokescreen for a whole bunch of bad shit that the government is trying to sneak in and actually is trying to fuck medicare but most of the analysis i've read seems to think that that's probably not the case um because they have like most uh, medical peak bodies and like uh, health consumer bodies mm-hmm. and that kind of thing have been consulted and have been on board with the process pretty much the whole time. It's just that now this is all happening behind a black shroud and they don't know what's right, going right. on. Yeah.
1: So huh, interesting.
0: Yeah. Look, like I say, I'm not super well versed on uh, how a lot of this stuff works and the deeper you get into it, like the more complex it
1: becomes. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah. At the moment, basically my takeaway from the analysis that I've read on this is that probably generally people don't need to panic, uh, but the government is doing a really bad job of rolling this out, which is obviously completely unsurprising. Um, So we might have to wait and see. I mean, maybe they'll cave to pressure and um, uh, delay the rollout of these changes, or maybe these changes will come in at the 1st of on the 1st of July as scheduled and then we'll find out what's going on. But so, yeah, look, at this stage I would say the story is probably not that there are cuts to Medicare. We don't okay. know that that's the story yet. Yep. Um but I'll keep an eye on that one and hopefully um <laughs> we'll, we'll have some, some more, more yeah. Yeah, some more robust analysis for you next time that we talk about cool. it. But well, yeah, I look, to touch
1: it up. speaking of robust analysis sec we have a, a new sting for our listeners Cook watch! yeah that's right this is kook watch our new segment where we uh, uh talk about kooks uh conspiracy theorists who have wild kooky views um and uh this week I want to talk about the Victorian Liberal Party, uh, who's been making up conspiracy theories about Daniel Andrews, who is, of course, the Labour Premier of Victoria, and his back injury uh, that has meant he's been off work for the last few months. And you might recall, listeners, uh, Zach, that he fell down his stairs uh, one morning while getting ready for work. Um, and. With that in mind, I will go on with this Cook Watch segment. Uh, shadow a treasurer, so the, the uh, Liberal Party would-be treasurer, uh, Louise Staley did a press conference and gave a media statement that basically said that the Premier shouldn't get his salary while he's off sick and also released a list of 12 questions that needed to be answered, quote, if there was no cover-up. Um. So I'm just gonna read out those uh twelve questions. These are the questions Daniel Andrews must answer before he comes back to work. Actually, why didn't you do them, Zach? Why didn't, why didn't you do them? Uh, oh, okay. Do do your best, like aggressive kook voice.
0: Uh yeah. So these are about the the, the questions around how he fell, essentially, or you know how he uh, acquired his injuries. What time did the incident occur? Who was in the house at the time of the incident?
1: What is the address of the sorry, house? Zach, where I need occurred? you to be more suspicious. What time did the incident occur? Who is in the house? Build- I'm, okay. I'm okay sorry. Up. I'm, I'm building sorry, up. I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. You go for it.
0: Who owns the property? What time was an ambulance called? Who called the ambulance? What time did the ambulance arrive? Which ambulance station was the ambulance dispatched from? Who made the decision to take the Premier to Peninsula Private? Were the police contacted? Did the police attend? Has Daniel Andrews been interviewed either formally or informally by the police in relation to anything that occurred over that long
1: weekend? Thank you, Zach. That was perfect. I'm sorry for giving you notes mid performance. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, as you said, Zach, these are a series of questions that are uh, talking around the actual conspiracy. Uh, and basically, the theory goes, as far as I've been able to piece together, Daniel Andrews was not at home that morning. He was, well, it, it, the injury occurred the previous night when he was drunk at Lindsay Fox's place. Lindsay Fox, listeners may know, is a, like a trucking. Magnate. He owns Fox trucks. Uh and, and Daniel oh, Andrews. You're got drunk. another Fox. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Daniel Andrews got drunk uh and hit on Lindsay Fox's daughter. And so Fox or possibly a friend of his who works for Price Waterhouse Cooper's beat up Daniel Andrews. And I just want to be really clear, there's no evidence whatsoever to support this. There's really strong evidence that Fox and this other guy were both somewhere else at the time. And there's also no reason whatsoever to believe that it is true. Uh, so in, yeah, in rest- so it's
0: around like the the theory is that the photos that his injuries are not consistent with falling downstairs; that they're consistent with being have somebody beating the shit out of you while you're lying on the ground. Exactly, and that there's also theories that the hospital photos are
1: faked. Yep, uh, uh, and th- also, also this that- week. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, and just another completely separate conspiracy theory that actually he's sick from the COVID vaccine.
1: Yes, yeah. So it seems <laughs> like that was the theory for about a day and a half after his injuries, and then the like anti-vax, which makes way more sense. It does. To me as That's a, conspiracy, a much better like... conspiracy theory because yeah, this one when... is just like some guy what... beat him up.
0: Yeah, like... Well, it's it's like the thi- the like the thing about that conspiracy <coughs> is shit because it stops there. You know, if it's like the COVID vaccine is killing our leaders. That goes all the way to the fucking top, man. It yeah. goes all the way to the fucking top. But if it's like Daniel Andrews is a sleaze and got the shit kicked out of him for being a sleaze, it's like, well, okay. I mean, that's awful. But have you met any politicians before? Like, right, there's, It's not much of a conspiracy.
1: Well, anyway, uh, in response to these 12 questions, Andrew has, uh, Daniel Andrews has asked Ambulance Victoria to release the notes from his file, which they have done. Uh, but since then... That's fucked, man. Yeah, it is. But what's extra fucked is that since then, Louise Staley has doubled down. She said, I asked 12 simple questions. The government has selectively chosen to answer five of them. My view is they should get on and answer the other seven. I'll just continue to put out there that they should be answered. So,
0: I'm just asking questions, man. I'm just yeah. asking questions. Like, I mean, many people have been like, hey, you are actively encouraging conspiracy theories. And she's being like, the only way to put these conspiracy theories to bed is to answer these questions. It's- like, I've got nothing to do with it. I'm just the messenger. Mm-hmm. Okay? You know? Like, just so fucking disingenuous. the The idea this is coming from, you know, somebody high up within the like, mainstream political opposition is... I mean, not surprising, but it's just fucking ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she issued that double-down press conference by wearing that really weird jacket with no arms that makes her look like a big mushroom was...
1: Also a choice.
0: It's, yeah, the whole thing is just a fucking farce. I mean, there's also... I saw some commentary on... Twitter, which uh, rang really true for me, which was that there's this strongly ableist dimension to this where essentially people are like, oh, if you aren't putting all the details of your illness or Mm -hmm. incapacity on display, then it must be fake. Totally. Which is just like, shut the fuck up. There's another thing...
1: I like. I didn't really mean to do any like actual news or commentary on this because you know kookwatch. Watch. Uh, I I titled this Daniel Adrenochrome Andrews because I I, <laughs> I posted a you know my classic content of a photo of a paper uh, a, a cartoon in the paper, um and made some comment about adrenochrome and triple brackets and people were like dude that's really uh not cool to like use anti-Semitic language about Daniel Andrews and I was like that the joke is that they're conspiracy theorists anyway that's fine but uh i mean one of the things louise daly's been saying i've heard other people say is like oh how come he gets fucking six weeks off to recover from his multiple broken ribs and fractured spine and he still (laughs) still keeps getting paid his salary that's so unfair and it's like hmm i think the issue here is that other people are denied sick leave or adequate sick leave or are fired when they get injured and, and like that's fucked it's not fucked that daniel andrews is getting the time off that he needs and the medical care that he needs—it's fucked that everyone else can't access that. So yeah,
0: no, I mean, not from Louise Staley's point of view. No, she of course, yeah, nobody should get sick care. leave. You don't yeah. work, you don't get paid. Uh, Look, I assume obviously, I like everybody else have never heard of this person before. No, this that's week. right. <laughs> so, which also tells you a lot about what her motivations are true, for true. doing this kook shit. I mean. <laughs> This is what happens when you put an opposition party down in, like, very close to, like, single-digit approval ratings. They're they're cornered like this. The fight-or-flight response gets triggered and they start doing weird shit like posting donuts in the shapes of dicks on Twitter. Mm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And, And just going whole hog down into the conspiracy trough and pigging out. Anyway... That's probably enough kook Watch for this week. Would you agree? I Moon?
1: think that's more than enough.
0: Would you Which agree that's enough news for this week?
1: D- more than enough, Zach.
0: All right, good. Everyone good. I, too I much agree.
1: Way too, way, too, way too much news.
0: If you want a podcast, you got to do a lot of shit.
1: That's not technically podcasting. You still got to do that shit.
0: Yes, uh, we still have to promote ourselves. We still have to tell you to like, share, and subscribe.
1: And to sign up on Patreon for $1 a month, you get a bonus monthly episode this month. Uh, it's just come out the, uh, yesterday, day before, when this uh, is, co- is released. Uh, it's about cops, corporations, and kink at Pride.
0: Follow us on the socials, Facebook, Insta, Twitter. We got the big three.
1: Like our posts, even if you don't actually think they're very good, please. Yeah, just, that's, that's just helpful. Just do us the solid. And leave us that
0: review over on on uh, on Apple Podcasts. You know you've been meaning to do it. We're not mad you haven't done it. We don't want to rush you. No, I'm not disappointed. I just want to issue. I was a just little, doing a joke know, about we're not mad, like, just disappointed. But when Noon uh, says he's going to post the bonus episode, and then a couple of days later he hasn't posted it, and I send him a message that's like, "Hey man, just checking in. Still thinking about posting that bonus episode this mm-hmm. week, or you know, what's what's the plan there?" I'm not angry. I'm not disappointed. I'm just checking in.
1: Okay. So listen, Zach's so just checking in on the reviews. He's just checking just in. We're just checking in
0: on the, on the reviews. I know you're planning to do it. You hadn't gotten around to it. It's that's no fine. big deal. But hey, sometimes we life. just need a little nudge. We need a reminder. Yeah. You know? I need a reminder. And this is yours.
1: I think that's, I think that's all the business.
0: Yeah. I think it is. We don't have any new reviews to read out this week. No. It's yeah.
1: the, uh, the nudge. So. On your patrons. No. It's just mud town over here. That's it. It's just been fucking raining and muddy. <laughs> Bagel has been g- getting the mud everywhere. It's mud mud city. It's pretty cute oh, though. Geez. It's it, it Yeah, he's just been curling up, being chilly, being snuggly. Um Aww. I can't have a like one of those um radiation heaters. Yeah. Radiator. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, there's just a like 100% chance Bagel would lie on it, burn himself, knock it over, and cause a fire. Um, yeah. So I have to have a little blow heater that I turn on for like two minutes while my room heats up, and then I turn it off again. And for those two minutes, Bagel gets it blowing on his little snoot, and it's adorable. Uh, he loves
0: it. It's oh, very cute. Mm. Yeah. Dante's been spending a lot of time tucked into the smallest ball possible. Yeah. Um, and. I think I've mentioned before that he's terrified of rain, so it hasn't been, like, Aww. a great week for him. But the one thing that will, like, the one urge that overcomes his fear of rain is really, really, really wanting to go for a walk. So, huh. you know, and there are days when it's like, "There's you got to walk in the rain, man. There's yeah, nothing else, there's nothing the else for it. We've got to yeah. get out there. You're going to get wet. And it's like, <laughs> Does it he just makes it very pace? weird yeah he tells off all right yeah he'll be pretty good while i like give him a rigorous you know rub yeah. with uh some of the filthiest rags yeah uh lying around the house um and then immediately like he he acts like having been rained on and then dried is like he's been given a bath and he desperately needs to go and cover himself in his own stink again oh, so no. he runs over to his bed and like tries to like dig his entire body as deep as he can into the bed cover himself with uh, again in his own stench good stink, yeah. um yeah <laughs> but yeah otherwise uh look he did two vomits this week oh uh, that's right i
1: remember you saying yeah Call yeah
0: you know because when, when we're out on walks he just likes to eat gross shit and um upsets his little tum yep by eating you know miscellaneous desiccated corpses poops. you know a bit of poops Moldy. a bit of fast food yeah Moldy whatevers, you know, a bit of cardboard if the it looks tasty enough. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Classic <laughs> now, <dog>. oh, <laughs> Terrible moment of walking past, you know, I live in a fairly industrial area and um, there's this one, you know, street where there's one section of the footpath that is just covered, completely covered in pigeon shit. I think because it's next to a factory that produces baked goods. Uh, or uh, of some description and Dante decided that he yeah I guess so and Dante just decided he really wanted to eat the like thick coating of pigeon shit on the ground so I essentially had to like pick him up and carry him over this section of footpath (laughs) because there's no other way to stop him Dante, (sighs) yeah I don't know where I (laughs) I wasn't going anywhere with that but no that's
1: fine that's yeah that's
0: all like, right. I gotta be honest, man. This episode's been a bit of a fucking mess from my perspective. Uh, so this is probably an appropriate way to end it.
1: To finish it up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for sticking with us. And uh, until next week, keep on snacking in the free world.
1: Being happy brings healthy heart and beauty. Is that right? Did I get it?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was waiting for the crunch crunch.
1: Oh. Um... Crunch Crunch.